If you'd please turn to Philippians chapter 3. The last few weeks we've been uh, considering what it means to be like Christ and that it was his plan from the very beginning that he is going to complete that, that plan in the end of all time that he will bring us back into looking like him in the image of God, looking, in fact, Christ-like. And so we are in the process of that in the present time. One of the ways that we make progress in becoming like Christ is, as we saw last week, beholding his glory in, in the word of God, looking for the glory of God and of Christ in this word. And as we look upon that glory and we take it into ourselves, that the Holy Spirit changes us more and more into that same image. And so we are going from one level of glory to the next level of glory towards Christ's likeness. And the path is always upward, onward, narrow. And on that narrow path for each of us, there is a cross. For each of us, our narrow path is marked with a cross. You cannot get around it. You can't get over it. You have to deal with it. That cross in your narrow path, self has to be nailed there. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Being crucified with Christ. Philippians chapter 3. We'll just look at verse 7 through 11 at this point. But the things which were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. The things that I maybe used to have boasted in, in those I will boast no more. They mean nothing to me. In fact, I count them as loss, meaning not only do I just forget about them, but I look at them as being detrimental to me. The things I would have bragged about before or in some way had a hold of my life, I look at as loss, as detrimental, and I'm glad to do that, Paul says. The things which are gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ, for something much better. Yet indeed, I count all things loss. Might wonder, well, what fits in that category, Paul? Everything. I count all things loss in exchange for this. Loss for gaining Christ. I count all things loss for the excellency, the surpassing value, that means, of the knowledge of Christ. And so, again, we come to this idea of as we get to know him better, as we grow in our knowledge of Him, our intimate awareness and knowledge and relationship with Him, that is worth more than everything else. It is the pearl of great price. I count all things loss in comparison to the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them like garbage 
or really try to estimate their value in comparison to Christ, it's just garbage. And I count them like garbage that I may gain something of infinite value, namely Christ. And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, that is by my good works, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness which is through Him, by faith. Verse 10. That I may know him. Here's the, notice the purpose statement here. That, for this purpose, that I may know him. That I may really know Christ. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And that word for conform to his death is the same word we find in Romans 8.29 where we are being conformed to the image of Christ. Soon morpho. Conformed to be like. Being conformed to the image of Christ means being conformed to his death. You, you have to face the cross. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, that if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, speaking of the knowing the power of his resurrection here, as he begins verse 10, that I may know him, knowing the power of his resurrection. In fact, this passage here verse 10 and 11 begins and ends with resurrection knowing the power of his resurrection at the beginning of verse 10 and at the end of verse 11 attaining to the resurrection from the dead and it may seem out of order especially in verse 10 to talk about the resurrection before being crucified with him but that's because uh, our new life begins with the resurrected new life that we'll, we'll see that in a moment in Romans chapter 6 and as for this power of the resurrection that will take up enough time that we'll spend all of next week talking about what that means but let's press on now to the next two items <laughs> secondly would be the, the fellowship of his sufferings the, the fellowship, remember that the idea of fellowship is koinonia, is something you share in common. So sharing in common with Christ his sufferings, knowing what it is like to suffer, sharing that with him. Now, I submit to you, this is not something that uh, most of us would, would naturally be seeking, right? You know what, this week, I want to suffer. I'm hoping I'll really suffer this week. How about you? That's not something we normally think of. So suffering doesn't mean you're going to break your leg or lose your job or something like that necessarily. It's not, don't think of it in those terms. Rather think of it in the biblical terms that God uses for sharing in the suffering. And that's seen, I think, principally in two ways. The first is the, the fellowship of godliness. Second, 
Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's really the goal of your life. If you say, I want to live godly in Christ Jesus, that will eventuate in suffering of some sort. You will be persecuted because of that. And it could be a slight thing. Someone might make fun of you or tell a joke about you or ignore you or pass you over for a, a job promotion or uh, break off a friendship with you. It can be all kinds of things uh, that are light persecutions, not necessarily something like being tortured or thrown into jail or something which happens all over this planet for the sake of Christ. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 And no wonder, Jesus says in John 15.18 Because if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. It's helpful to understand this. If someone is really giving you a hard time for being a Christian and trying to stand up for Christ and godliness and um, not doing it in some kind of an arrogant judgmental way, if we do it that way, then we deserve what we get. But do, if we stand for Christ in a loving way, but standing firm and trying to be godly, and you suffer persecution, Jesus says, here's the reason why. It's not so much that they hate you. It's because they hate me. They hate Christ. They don't want anything to do with Christ. They don't want him ruling over them, telling them what to do, making them feel guilty and so forth. And if you are his ambassador, they will slay you if they can because they hate him. They hate the light. They hate the Son of God. And so there's the, the fellowship of godliness. As we try to live godly lives, you can expect that there will be suffering involved with that. The early apostles rejoiced, rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer in his name. When they were thrown into prison and so forth and beaten up, yes, this is great because they so identify us with Christ that they're doing this to us because they can't get to him. He's resurrected, God. They rejoice to suffer persecution for his name. But then there's also the one which is perhaps more personal to us and more prominent in our culture. That is what I would call the fellowship of Gethsemane. J.B. Lightfoot, a famous Bible scholar from a century ago, wrote, The agony of Gethsemane, not less than the agony of Calvary, will be reproduced, however faintly, in the faithful servant of Christ. That is... We think of the agony of Calvary, right? The, the cross and so forth. But don't forget the agony of Gethsemane. And it's that suffering as well that we experience and that we need to experience. 
In Philippians 3, verse 8, Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord and for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as garbage that I might gain cross. The, the, the suffer, suffer the loss of all things for him. Verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. We sometimes forget the degree of his sufferings in Gethsemane. In fact, one person has very well put it, the war that was waged on the cross was won in the garden of Gethsemane. You see, once Christ left Gethsemane, the battle was done. His mind was made up. There was no deterring him. It was in the garden of Gethsemane where, where Christ so fully submitted his will to the Father's will. And he said, Father, if there's any way that this cross that I'm going to partake of can be taken away from me, let it be so. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And when he left the Garden of Gethsemane, there was no turning back. He headed straight for the cross. You see, that's what we are called to do as well. Gethsemane is all about denying self. I put this verse in your notes, I think. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, his own cross, and follow me. Do you really want to be a disciple of Christ? Do you really want to follow him? If anyone wants to come after me, the first thing is a Gethsemane experience. Let him deny himself. Let him say, Father, not my will, but your will be done in my life. Deny himself. That, that is our Gethsemane. It, you see, it's one thing if the world system denies me. I can deal with that. It's another thing for me to deny me. That's where I struggle. For me to say no to self. We are not going to do that sin. We're going to submit this to God alone. We're going to pursue godliness for his sake, not selfishness for my sake. The denying of self is where the real battle is. That's where the suffering takes place. And third, knowing the conformity to his death. Turn to um, Romans chapter 6. Galatians 2.20 says that... Um, as Paul says there, I 
am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I am crucified with Christ. He counts it as a, a present reality. And as we look at our co-crucifixion with Christ, we deny self and take up our cross, our co-crucifixion with Christ, we need to reckon that from both God's point of view and from our point of view. To see that both ways, I think, helps us. First of all, from, from God's reckoning or God's point of view, he gives us the revelation of the spiritual truth in Romans 6, 1 through 6. And since just a few mo months ago, we spent a good deal of time in Romans 6. We'll just quickly go through this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And so the, the, the baptism uh, here that Paul is talking about is not a water baptism, but a symbolic spiritual baptism. When, when you believed in Christ, you were placed into Christ by the Holy Spirit, uh, counted dead with Christ, but raised again to newness of life. But the bottom line of this is verse 6. And so we know this, knowing this. This is not conjecture. It's not based on, on opinion. Knowing this that our old man was crucified with him. Our old man was crucified with him. Well, what if you don't feel that way? What if, uh, what if yesterday you sinned and you don't feel so much like your old man was really crucified with him? Well, is God still true here? Is this verse still right? Or maybe we need to put this like on a whiteboard and erase it once in a while and read and write it back in or and what do we do with this well this is unchanging truth this is truth your daily experience may go up and down your feelings vacillate for some of you it vacillates broadly um, but it, this is not based on how you feel in the moment or how good you did today this is based on God's unchanging word and promise finished at the cross and he says that the old man was crucified with him. That's how God sees it looking from heaven down upon you. He sees you, if you, if you have put your faith and trust in him, he sees you as someone who belongs to him. You are covered with the blood of the lamb. You no sin upon you. You are perfect in his sight, worthy now of heaven because of what he has done, right? 
declared righteous, justified in his sight. You still sin in practical everyday life. That's true. You experience sin, but forensically or judicially, from God's point of view, you are declared righteous, crucified with him. But it's not just so we can say, well, that's, that's done and over. There's a further purpose he has in here, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Not only to deal with the sin of the past, but to enable us to live a, a life which is less and less sinful, more and more Christ-like. And, and then we get to man's reckoning of this, man's view, how we're supposed to look at this, I believe in verse 11. <clears throat> Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckon yourselves. Count it to be so. Again, not based on how you feel, but based on God's truth. Count it to be so. I am crucified with Christ. Reckon it to be so. I am dead indeed to sin. Now, I've put in your notes a, a little chart here to try to help distinguish some between um, the cross of Christ and our cross, between salvation and sanctification. Because sometimes these concepts get kind of intermingled and, and justly so because they are so tied together in so many ways. So, first of all, in salvation, we have Christ's cross. This is where the penalty for sin is dealt with, on the cross of Christ. We come to the cross recognizing the problem of our sin and our inability to gain victory, and we trust completely in the cross of Christ that He paid our, the penalty for our sin there. But He says that we also have a cross. And on this cross, it is ours. We don't pay for our sin. That's already been done with. We can do nothing at all to make any payment for our sin. Okay, that's already done. But what does our cross do then? Our cross is where the power of sin is dealt with. The, the daily living in sin and the power that sin exercises over us, that is dealt with on our cross as we deny ourselves. And count ourselves to have been crucified with Christ. That's where the power of sin is dealt with. And, we, and still we come even to that cross. Recognizing our inability to gain victory. We still need God to work in us even to embrace our own cross. That we would be able to have victory in daily life. We still struggle with sin. And we need God to enable us to embrace the cross of Christ and praise Him for the once for all death for our sin but embrace our own cross in daily denying ourselves and taking it up and saying 
I am crucified with Christ. Secondly, in, in the area of salvation, when we first come to know Jesus, we recognize him as uh, Christ as Savior and Lord. And then as we grow in our relationship with him, we come to recognize him, we recognize Christ not only as Savior, but as Lord. You see, the, the, both truths are there all the time. He's always Savior and Lord from the beginning to the end. But it's how we, where our emphasis is. I, and I think where our, our understanding is as, as little believers, it's more on the understanding that Christ is our Savior. He's God, yes, He's Lord, but we don't fully understand what that means. But we come to the cross, He's Savior. And as we grow, he starts opening our eyes up to what it also means for him to be the Lord. He, he's the Lord from the beginning, but we understand more and more as we go along the Lordship of Christ over our life. He's not only Savior, he's now Lord. And that comes with, as we partake of our cross, we deny ourselves. the more we deny ourselves, the easier it is to see him as Lord. Third, we trust God for the accomplished fact, the accomplished fact that Christ paid for our sin, and we accept by faith it is finished. There's no more sacrifice needed. It's an accomplished fact. When, when we come to our cross and sanctification, we trust God also for the accomplished fact that God says you have been crucified with Christ. It's accomplished in the past. We accept God's truth. It's, it's done. It is finished. Romans 6, 6. Our old man was crucified with him. Again, not based on feelings, but based on God's truth. Number four. In salvation, the focus is on the crucifixion of Christ for us. And this leads to spiritual birth. Because we accept this, we, we rejoice. Christ died for us. That leads to spiritual birth. As we grow in Christ and we are being sanctified, <clears throat> the focus becomes more our crucifixion with Christ. That we, we have actually been crucified with Him. And as... Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ yet I live and we'll talk about that more next week and that leads to spiritual growth and vitality then number five salvation and embracing the cross of Christ calls for a one time act of faith and that affects our position in Christ there, you only have to be saved once you don't you don't have to be saved again and again and again it's a one-time transaction if you acknowledge your sin before God and you trust him as your Lord and Savior it's a one-time one-time thing you are saved you put your faith in him one time act of saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and then that, that puts you in Christ that, that affects your position we say puts you in Christ but for sanctification 
That calls for continual daily reckoning. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. It's ongoing. You keep reckoning. Present tense. Reckon yourself today. And you do it tomorrow. You reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin and alive to God. A continual daily reckoning. And that affects your condition in Christ. That affects where you are in your spiritual walk. Your condition. You're already in Christ. But how are you doing in your condition? And finally, salvation, the cross of Christ, places us in Christ and the works of the flesh are removed as far as having any judgmental value over us. In sanctification, that results in our abiding in Christ and the fruit of the Spirit is added to our life In fact, that's one of the ways you can tell that you are growing in sanctification. Just check the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Do I see that in my life or not? It's a a good measuring rod for us. And now, let's think about the reason for conformity to Christ's death. Uh, Let's go back to Philippians chapter 3. Go back to what Paul said here about the, about being conformed to the death of Christ and evaluating what counts. Verses 7 through 10 again. But the things which were gain to me, these I have counted loss, in fact, detrimental for the sake of Christ. Yet, indeed, I evaluate I estimate I count everything as detrimental compared to Christ alone I count all things lost for the excellence the surpassing value of of what the knowledge of Christ now hang on to that a minute the the knowledge of Christ you might expect this to say something like, I count everything for loss for the sake of having Christ. But I'm convinced as I do more and more study that the method that God uses to grow us into Christ's likeness is in knowing Him more intimately. That's why... 2 Corinthians 3.18 talked about as we look into this Word, and we behold the glory of Christ, we are being changed into that same image from one level of glory to the next. It is, it is in knowing Him. Now remember that Paul already knows Christ initially, right? He knows Him for His Lord and Savior. He already knows Him. So what, what does he mean here? Not that I'm going to come to know Him initially, but that I'm going to grow in knowledge intimately that I might intimately know Him. And when I say I I know Sherry, and we've been married 43 years, and and we dated for a couple years before that. 
So that's like 45 years. And I'm only 55. <laughs> or so. And I'll just give you one of those awe stories. I hope, I hope it's not. We had been dating for a while. And, uh, and she was unlike any female I had ever met. I mean, not only stunningly beautiful, but smart, intelligent, and classy. And that was not my normal kind of... Anyways. <laughs> I didn't mean to go that way. Um, I remember driving with her one day, and I, said, I told her, you know, Sherry, we've been dating for all this time, and I just feel like I can't get to know you who you really are, who you are inside. I, I can't get to know you, and I want to know you. She said it was that moment that she decided, okay, this guy's worth pursuing. <laughs> he wants to know me. Oh. <laughs> so, and, and now I know her. I, I not only know her birthday, uh, <laughs> her favorite colors and that sort of thing but I, I know a lot of things about her that no one else knows I know her intimately and so it's not just to know her but to know intimately that's our relationship you see and that's what God through Christ wants for you not just that you know him that you agree yeah he's son of God died for my sins I'm grateful for that thank you Lord Jesus it is to love him, to know him intimately, to grow in that kind of knowledge of him, to know him in the same way Genesis 4 says, and Adam knew Eve, to know him intimately. Paul is saying that is worth everything else. Nothing compares to the value of the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage that I might gain Christ. What if you had whatever you wanted the most? What if you were able to get your heart's desire what, what, what do you really want out of life what is really important to you and if you could get that would you be happy would you be as happy say as uh, say Whitney Houston or would you be as happy as Michael Jackson or Junior Seau one of my favorite football players they got it all right fame and money and would you be happy you see when when we look at this world and we treasure the things of this world it is like eating out of a garbage can and here's the thing here's from from heaven's perspective the people on earth think that the winners the winners are the ones who get the largest garbage cans or get to the garbage cans the quickest 
And whoever can get this stuff, I hate those maggots. Whoever can get the garbage, they win. That's, and the more garbage you get, the better off you are. You want some of my garbage, man? This is my garbage. <laughs> In the meantime, excuse me. In the meantime, God has set out for us a banquet table of blessing. Ephesians 1.3 he has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He sets out this banquet table of the good things of God, what true love is, what true joy is, what true happiness is, what true peace is. Not the kind of peace this world gives, but that kind of peace he sets out in a banquet table. And we are so busy eating out of our garbage cans and highly estimating and evaluating our garbage cans that we don't have time to see the banquet table. Paul says, you, you need to reevaluate what's important to you in life. Verse 8. Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I, I'm going to suffer the loss of this garbage. Now, follow me here. This is really what he's saying. I'm going to suffer the loss of this. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage because I want this banquet table that Christ has set before me of an intimate relationship with Him. And nothing else is that valuable. If you have evaluated it that way, if you, if you can have this change in your paradigm and you are able to see the things of Christ as supremely valuable over anything that this world could offer then pursue what is valuable and just look very quickly here at verse 12 through 14 of Philippians 3 And he says, not that I have already attained, that is, I haven't, I haven't arrived at perfection yet. Paul's still pressing on. He's still in the process of being sanctified. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that banquet table, that I might lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me and this begs the question then, what did Christ Jesus lay hold of us for? What does that mean? Christ Jesus laid hold of me for something, Romans 8.29, that we would look just like Him. Christ-likeness. 
So pursuing Christ's likeness. That which he laid hold of me for is to be like Christ. Verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or to have arrived yet. But this one thing I do. Notice the single-minded focus of this. Not I'm going to add this to other things I'm doing in life to try to do some self-improvement project. But this one thing I do, forgetting all other things, this one thing I do, not many things I dabble in. This one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, let, let me just pause here for a moment. This forgetting the things which are behind. I think Paul is specifically referring to the things that he had in his past. He, had, he began the chapter talking about, if anyone has reasons to boast, I do. And he gave all the reasons. Then he says, I count all those things as garbage. So forgetting those things which are behind. The reason many of you cannot make progress in your Christian life is that you have not forgotten the things which are behind. You are still clinging to them or they are clinging to you. You have things in your past which you are proud about and, and you want to cling on to and you remember the good old days and which when you were living them weren't all that good, by the way. Or you have some sin issues in your past. Maybe someone sinned against you and you have bitterness toward them and a lack of forgiveness. Or you have some sin in your life that you've never really dealt with and you still have guilt about that that you need to turn over to God. And it's like the past is like a ball and chain and you can't go toward the future because this past is dragging you and holding you back. Let it go. Forget about it. We never make progress in the Christian life by looking back. When I do Christian counseling, I don't care what kind it is, I very seldom go into the past of the people. People always want to do that. I'm very reluctant to it. Why? Because they want to go back here and rehearse wrongs committed against them and how they are justified for being sinners. Forget it. Get over it. Forgive that person or beg their forgiveness. Probably both. But don't dwell in the past and don't let the past be the ball and chain that keeps you from pressing on towards Christ. Forgetting the things which are behind and pressing forward. When Cortez landed in Veracruz in 1519 to begin his dramatic conquest of what became Mexico, he had a force of only 700 men. And so he purposefully set fire to all 11 ships in his fleet. The men on the shore watched as one by one the ships sank into the Gulf of Mexico, knowing there was no return. There was no going back. There was no retreat. The only way forward was to victory. And we need to have that kind of attitude burn those things which are in the past let them go 
deal with them once and for all and move on forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward straining for those things which are ahead verse 14 I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ you are only going to pursue the things you desire and the things you desire whether good or bad whether evil or righteous you will somehow find a way to pursue I'd like our worship team to come up as we we're going to get ready to sing one more song